Off top. Alabama. Got some funny laws. Bet you're getting nervous, aren't you? Nope. So, you know it's illegal to put salt on a railroad track in Alabama. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. What up, Charlie? Yeah, my son taught me that. Really? Yeah. I don't know what YouTube video he was watching, but it's about cows being killed or something. I was literally going to ask yeah. what the reasoning was. Yeah. It, it put me down this rabbit hole of all these other weird Alabama laws, like you can't sell peanuts on Sunday. And anyway. One time I'll tell you a crime that I was part of committing in Alabama, but I don't know the statute of limitations. And so we'll save that for another podcast or off air. You can't spray silly string in mobile. All right. So we got a lot to talk about. We got a finals preview to do. We want to talk about the future of Jalen Brown and honestly, like the future of NBA roster construction through that Jalen Brown conversation. I got a Caleb Williams topic that I want to get to. Uh, He's the future number one overall pick out of USC. He was a DC native and should use his power, which I'm sure you're not surprised that I'm going to say that. We'll get to that at some point. But before we get to any of that, I need to let the listeners and viewers in on the conversation we were having beforehand. If you see, if you're on YouTube, which you can go to to watch this show, you can see that Charlie has on a Taylor Swift concert tee because he went to the concert at MetLife in New York, I guess New Jersey technically, and he was telling me some things that I was shocked by. So where do we start? Where do we start with the ridiculous Taylor Swift? First, my first question is, I've seen like TikToks and videos of what's happening there. You think if Taylor was like, hey, yes, every <laughs> everybody in here, follow me to the state house. We're going to take over the state of New Jersey. Let's go bum rush the security guards and fight the cops. They would do it. A hundred percent. And I, as I like... It would be a real conundrum for the cops because having 80,000 millennial white women, like what, the, what are the cops going to do? Politely ask them to stop. That's sort of their MO with that in that situation. I wonder what they would have to do to get the cops to that point where they start letting off shots. So I know that there are I know she's a crazy big deal and they're like lunatic fans for everyone. And I imagine that of the 80,000 people that were there. 20, 30,000 of them were completely nuts. So give me some no, good No, no, way, way more than that. Way more than that. So first of all, so you get to MetLife. Okay. Um, and you have to, if you park in one of the parking lots, you have to cross the highway in this like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a tunnel, but above yeah. ground tunnel, a tube type of thing. And you you walk in this horde of people who are all... Are they singing? I mean, it's conscious, 80, 80% women, 80% people 25 to 40 year old 40 years old all dressed with different eras of taylor swift from the country era it's like her bad reputation era to 1989 they're all dressed different so you have like glitter tuxedos bad reputation is the album a reputation is the album okay i got you so it was a bad era it was like it was like her bad girl era okay gotcha. after she got like into her kim kardashian kim kardashian she's kim kardashian era now no no she had a feud with kim kardashian about kanye west song famous oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. and then it was was like she said her her reputation was ruined and had her bad girl album Um, okay 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 uh but they're all dressed in different taylor eras they all have friendship bracelets um they all know every single word. To so their she song. she's co-opted friendship races. That yeah, I guess belongs was, to her. I didn't know what this was, but apparently it's, it was a throwaway song line in one of her songs. 
where she talks about friendship bracelets. And then you you look at this concert and there's 80,000 people with like 25 friendship bracelets that all have like different Taylor lyrics or albums. That's, yeah. That's cute inside. But like she's going on at 8 p.m. 7.55, you just have an 80,000 per person chant of just people going, mother, mother, what mother. They, they, they're calling Taylor mother. Shut the f*** up. I swear to God. I swear <laughs> to God. And this is like, like Phoebe, Phoebe. They call her mother? Yes. And like Phoebe Bridges or Bridgers is performing ahead of time. No one is listening to a f***ing word she's singing. <laughs> they're mother. just chanting for Taylor. So they see this countdown. Like it's, it's, it's bleeping Taylor time. And then... <laughs> She comes out, she's got like an 80-yard stage, and she touches every corner of it. The production value is insane. She goes for three and a half hours, um, takes at most like a 90-second break, and people sing every word of it for three hours. I know every people talk about word. like, she's a great athlete. Oh, elite At least endurance, endurance athlete. Yeah, yeah, endurance athlete. To go three and a half hours of performance with a 90-second break um, across... Hundreds of cities, probably. Three nights a week. Goodness gracious. 14 weeks. She's about six feet, right? Yeah, yeah. She I saw her at a coffee shop in Nashville. She's, like, tall. She don't got no post moves? No, no. She's, she's you know, built like Manute Bowl. Oh, man. So, Nashville. Why? Oh, yeah, you went to Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah. So, she okay. was supposed to be in my grade at Vanderbilt. Oh, she and got she accepted got, to Vanderbilt? And then she got famous and obviously didn't go. Oh. Um, but so she lived like a block off of camp- campus and there was like a sandwich shop that like a lot of us would go to hung over on Sundays and she was there not like frequently. But So what happened when you sh- when you shot your shot? There, there was no shoot- shot shooting. She was already like famous at this oh, point. She was, okay, she was okay. dating celebrities at, at, the, at, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> she walked in All and everyone right. like it would, she'd like walk into this bread and co and everyone would get like silent and be like start whispering and she'd just walk by and you could just see that she was like a year ago I was normal and now I'm mother the, fa- the fact they call her mother so the fan thing is interesting to me like I'm no judgment on people who like become super fans of yeah. someone else like whatever that's fine but I don't think I have that in me or whatever it is like that I think it might just be my ego it's like I will no matter how much I like you at certain at some point I'm putting it down yeah and I, I would not be mesmerized by anyone to that point so the way i would describe it is like imagine game seven Cavs warriors 27 uh, 2016 if everyone is rooting for one team in the stadium and she does that 52 times in the stadium every single time is that intense with the fans what yeah they that crazy. Fun. oh no it was, and she was amazing um and like you you might not think you're a swifty like i didn't think i was a swifty and then you realize you know yeah all I'm the sure words to it. half the songs uh at least half the songs. i'm sure i know a lot of the songs. And i the, don't know i'm trying, trying to think of chorus. i'm trying to put myself in that mindset of who would it have to be and i don't think that there is anyone and like like i mentioned no. before my wife goes to all the beyonce concerts i've yeah. never been to one but like that feels like a similar experience where it's just a lot fewer white women i guess yeah still probably a whole, a whole lot, lot of, of white women. women yeah yeah, yeah. I, she's a <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's a crossover icon. But honestly, like the person who would know that much of their music can't can't go to his shows anymore. Sorry, Kanye. Yeah, (laughs) Yeezy does have a following. He's got like, and also he's got like enough songs to have a greatest hits album. All right, all right. Is that all the ridiculous Taylor stuff that we need to talk about? There was one funny thing. So we were in a one funny thing. Well, there was another funny thing. Okay, We, we were in a box for this, and I guess my friend who gave me this ticket, Scott, shout out to Scott. You're 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 the man. Uh, he bought half the tickets in the box and there we were in the box with like a 14 year old's birthday party oh. with their with the mom and 
Jersey mom. Oh, like a stereotypical Jersey mom? She was nuts. <laughs> she was, Sherry was nuts. <laughs> she was guarding like the front. So the, the box had like the buffet area and uh, then the seats area. And she was like, none of us were like drunk or unruly or anything right, like that. And yeah. And like, also there were a bunch of 14 year old kids that we yeah. didn't want to be assholes to. Yeah, right. But she was like, you guys do not cross the line to the front of the box. I paid just as much as you do. You uh-huh. guys, and we're like, lady, we're fine. We just want to stand at the back and watch Taylor. We're, we are fine. So she owned the front of the box. Yeah. She and took, you guys were in the back of the box. Yeah. We had like, she took, she tried to take the entire seats area. Oh. And that was like, we, we just sort of talked her down from it, but she got full, like stereotypical Jersey aggro. And I thought this was funny because this is like a 48, 50 year old woman covered in glitter, wearing like a Taylor Swift pantsuit and, <laughs> and is like trying to get like aggro. Like the hands are going like this. We actually oh, had this, like oh, the, the, how dare you? <laughs> now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. 
Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. All right, I've had enough Taylor okay. talk. Let's get to basketball. All right, so the finals. This playoffs, I think, have been full of a lot of really impressive and interesting series, and I feel like we're ending at a championship game that's less interesting than the series. Like I was thinking of all the other series that I've enjoyed or was at least more excited for. Yeah. I was more excited for each of the conference finals than I am for the championship. However, I do think the I heard Mike Malone say that the Heat are the toughest test that they've had. And my first reaction was, "Oh, that's ridiculous." And then I was like, "I guess kind of. I mean, you're looking at the Suns, whom they took them to six games, but yep. the Suns were like, at no point did we feel like after game one, we were like, oh, this is not what we thought it was going to be. <laughs> right. and it, was, it didn't seem hard for for them. The Lakers, they swept, but they were close at the end what of a, a close couple, sweep. <laughs> it was one of those uh, close sweeps. Um, but I guess, are you buying it? No. You aren't. I, I think I am. <laughs> no, they had two games where Devin Booker and Kevin Durant like each scored forty points, and Booker was shooting like forty, uh, like seventy five percent from the field, and we were like, well, "Shit, if he does this two more times, anything could happen." Yeah, um, there's nobody on the Heat that can do that, and I don't think that there's any matchup that scares them in this series. Yeah, that was my big thing when we were talking about it. I was talking about it with with Monica McNutt. It was like. Where do you have the advantage? I, I mean, that's how I tend to like break down sports is like, where do you have the advantage? What's the answer to the advantage? Like it starts at that f- central piece. And I'm trying to figure out where they have the advantage. Like Bam is faster than Jokic, but the Heat play at a slow pace. They don't want to speed it up and increase the possessions. When you're playing against a more talented team, the more possessions you have, the less likely it is that you're going to like prevail. The Heat plays slow because of that. And the Nuggets are comfortable playing fast, especially with Jokic outlet passes. Like they play fast. And I also just think that, you know, the Heat have had a bad offense all year mm-hmm. and they've been able to drag teams into the mud with them, make it a rock fight. And Jimmy's been able to like, make clutch basket after clutch basket, draw fouls, can stop runs. Like the Nuggets when Jokic is on the floor are a historically great offense and that is not going to get stopped by the Heat zone or anything in the Heat's defense. It's a terrible matchup for them. But I mean, this is part of the Heat's thing where they could be up 3-0 in this series and up by 20 points in game four and I'd still be a terrible matchup. The Nuggets are going to win. Yeah. But I mean, uh, so then where do you, looking back at the Celtics series, we can say it was three-point shooting. The difference in their three-point shooting, we can say was kind of the yeah. difference in this. Yeah. If we get to a point where the Heat are up 2-0 yeah. or are tied 2-2, two to two, what would have happened in those games? That's the thing I'm having a hard time imagining and it wasn't that hard to imagine the Heat uh, doing that to the Celtics because they did it last year. Like they took it to Game Seven, a shot away. And there last was year. something really off with the yeah, smell was, of the Celtics team right. from the Hawks series on. Um, yeah, the, the Nuggets smell great. They smell <laughs> those crispy Nuggets. Are, oh my uh, They smell so dank, fresh out the oven. All right, so <laughs> we were talking different Nuggets. I know, I, I know, I know. I, I went, I went to the Disney Nuggets. I went to the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> Um, Perfect. So you guys like, what's the path for this to look in look different? Yeah, I just say looking once. Let's. What would you have said happened? Like after this, they win. Say they're up 
or it's two to one going back to, or it's yeah, it's two to one before game four. What would have happened in those wins? I think that there are a few things. The first sort of injury. No, I was going to say Jimmy Butler taking more than ten free throws a game. I think is a huge one for the Heat setting their defense and slowing down the pace. Um, Kayla Martin in the conference finals scored nineteen points a game, averaged six rebounds on sixty percent shooting and forty eight percent from three. Um, as the heir to Austin Reeves, if he's able to like keep his performance at this rate, it actually changes the Heat's offense because you have a second perimeter creator. And of course, if Hero comes back, potentially you have three and the optionality of their offense is a lot different. And then the, the really obvious one that I do not think is going to happen is that Bam becomes, we talk about bubble AD a lot if he becomes bubble bam where he can actually start making elbow jump shots taking dribble handoffs to the rim um hard and is an effective scorer on Jokic exploit that i mean Jokic is framed as weak on defense which i i think is a fair characterization of him if you're looking for a weakness in his game but he that's... hasn't been abused by the pick and roll in this playoffs um but of course they're also you know he hasn't faced the, i mean Anthony Davis was great but he wasn't a big who really was testing him in different ways inside and out like his jump shot betrayed him this these last couple of years so he wasn't able to draw Jokic away from the basket and then you know go by him so I mean it's it's not completely unrealistic um I think you said you got them in four was that a real pick uh you don't think that he can get one I got the minus 3.5 so in <laughs> zero or one all right I mean I'm giving them two just uh heat culture which is amorphous and fun to to just point to when you have nothing else to say just say heat culture but like actually like yeah, like, yeah it's they're the toughest most conditioned team like the the thing about the heat and this is actually something that we should give them credit for is them not just completely gacking and rolling over and dying in game seven against the Celtics after blowing those, right. not blowing those, but losing right. three consecutive games is an absolute testament to the fact that they're not going to like roll over no matter what against this, against this Nuggets team. It's going to be Spo yelling, burn the boats every single, <laughs> every single game. Yeah. Well, we'll see what they can put together for next year's run. Cause we've already all kind of accepted that they lost the finals, which isn't fair. Yeah. Uh, they're eight C they've already defied logic a bunch of diff- different times, but I-, I think people are already talking about Damian Lillard, but they'll have room. I to- think that this team with their coaching staff, Butler and their, and like the flexibility of their roster should be, considered the favorite or the co-favorite with anyone else in the east going into next year that's an interesting i was gonna go pivot to the to the jalen brown um contract conversations but remember when we thought the east was better than the west this year and we're like the east is finally better we always talk about the west but the best teams are in the east look at all these good teams in the eighth seed made it to the finals the the bucks future is kind of interesting and not all that uh exciting considering the age and the contract situations around their players you have the 76ers moving on from their coach not sure where James Harden's going to be and Embiid's injury concerns and health is always hanging over him am I missing anybody like before you get to the stability that is the Miami Heat well I just think that like the bloom came off the rose even for the young teams this year like I you oh yeah the the Celtics well Celtics and even some teams like Cleveland and Toronto yeah. that before the season we were looking at them and we were like, okay, is Evan Mobley going to be the next Tim Duncan or Kevin Garnett? Not that he's not like an incredibly promising player, but them flaming out against the Knicks the way they did in the postseason 
was significant. The Raptors fired their coach. Fred Van Vliet might walk. Scotty Barnes regressed as a shooter. Um, so even those the young teams are slightly less appealing in the East. But to me, it's 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 those three. It's the it's the Sixers. What's going on there is fascinating. Uh, like, do you have any faith in that team mm. figuring it out? None. I mean, Tyrese Maxey is going to have to become his best version of himself all the time. That's the that's their hope. Uh, Tobias Harris turn back the clock. I don't I don't know what they can do there, and Embiid get some new knees and doesn't like when when Embiid gets old, it might yeah. get like. Do you remember like old Shaq? Like we yeah. meet, we might see Celtic Shaq and Embiid. Embiid's not young either. No, he's, I like, think he's thirty next yeah, season. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. how old Embiid is already. And anyway, the the Celtics is probably I would think before this series, actually before this morning. If you ask me what team I would want to like own or coach or be a fan of going yeah. forward, who has the most promising future, I would have obviously said the Celtics and I still might say the Celtics but part of the reason why I was saying that was because I still think Jalen Brown is incredibly valuable piece that they control but you and I had a conversation this morning about the implications of the new uh, CBA and it I guess our general feeling or coming out of that is it's going to be hard to add players yeah once they sign him which isn't like it's always hard to add players but you can always do it yeah. You're not going to be able to do it going forward. Unless you like match salaries perfectly. Yeah. And get someone. Well, so I guess the, the interesting part about this to me is Jalen Brown's eligible for an extension. He has one more five, year on five years, 295. Yeah. He has one more year on his contract. Yeah. Normally, when a player is eligible for an extension, there's no reason to discuss it. You sign him because it was easier to move him. Because the, the 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 ethos of NBA roster management was don't lose an asset for nothing. But now because of the restrictions on what you can trade and how the money has to be perfect, you can't add straight cash to the deal. Having an asset just to have an asset, it's not going to necessarily be easy to move him. So you're not committing to or you are committing to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as your future in a way that you never have before in NBA history because you could – move a guy. You could package up some stuff and get him out of town. Now it's like, no, if you sign him, it's going to be almost impossible to trade him. And it's going to be even more difficult than it's ever been to bring in pieces around him. So the question that we've been having is, can you win with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as the core of your team? My answer has always been yes, because I think I've been viewing this as how the NBA, uh, CBA impact player movement in the past. And now it's going to impact it in a way where I'm hesitant. I might be more comfortable with having a little bit of space to make some other decisions. Yeah. I mean, look, he's a really limited superstar. And that's not to say that he's not a star player. Like he made second team all NBA, uh, both because of durability and because of talent. But you're basically getting someone. He's been the Celtics' fourth best perimeter defender this year. Um, he's been a degrading defensive player for the last couple of years. He does not pass the ball. He does not handle the ball. And do you remember um, in the 2014 finals when LeBron got cramps? Mm-hmm. And yeah. a lot of the story after that game was like, wow, LeBron got cramps. That's They lost game one. How could that happen? He's supposed to be like this ultra durable athlete. But the story for me was you looked at Dwayne Wade 
and he could not create offense on his own without LeBron on the floor. And when that got exposed with Wade, it was that he was it was exposing that he's at a different state of his career. What Jalen Brown is exposed is he's not he's not a one B. We thought like it, the conversation began to switch after last year's finals when Tatum had the hurt shoulder and Jalen Brown actually was this aggressive offensive player who could use advantage against the Warriors. Maybe they have a one A and one B. They don't. They have a one B and a three. That's what that's Jalen Brown is the third is a third piece on a really good team. Do you think that um, with a healthy Tatum and Jalen Brown being, even if he's a three and he never gets any better than that, they're better off attaching themselves to that pair for the foreseeable future or, and obviously it depends on what they can get for him, or trying to move Jalen Brown now? Because... Because of extension, because he made All NBA, he's now eligible for extension yeah. that he wouldn't have been for eligible for otherwise. Right. Which means when a player like that gets extension eligible, eligible, you give him the extension. You can't now just bring him back and have him play under this other contract. And if you try to do that, then you get to the point where you lose him for nothing. So, back to my original question: Would you move him now? I would trade him this offseason. Absolutely. Try to get him off your roster. Well, it's not just, it's not getting him off my roster. There are plenty of teams that would want. Well, it's not it's not like I'm trading him because I just want to get rid of you. I'm trading him because okay, if they won a title with those two, it would be a historical anomaly of the best two, of those being your best two players winning a title. Like uh, we went into three Eastern Conference series with the Celtics, and except with the exception of the Hawks in round one. Jason Tatum wasn't the best player in any of them. Like on, on paper, I know he outplayed Embiid in, in the conference semis. But I think if you were to ask, would you rather have Embiid or Tatum in a vacuum, you'd say Embiid. And same with Jimmy Butler or Tatum when it comes to playoff series. So you're basically saying you're going to win the title with someone who's sort of out of the realm of best player in a title team. That doesn't really doesn't happen often. So, it happens I mean, in 2004. And then the other thing is when that happens, it's the team is so spectacular. And yeah. I think you could even say that about the 2014 Spurs, but you're going to look at the Celtics team and Marcus Smart is aging out of the player he was. Robert Williams can't stay on the floor. Al Horford is old and he has minutes where he can look great and minutes where he can look like he's not the same guy. Grant Williams is probably going to leave this offseason. And unless you expect Tatum and Brown to take significant jumps, Malcolm Brogdon also old, um, Tatum and Brown to take significant jumps and go from being nice star pairing to superstar pairing, then yeah, like you have to trade one of them to try and win the title. So my pushback would be look around at the other pairings mm-hmm. and who has a better pairing than them, even if you're considered considering Jalen Brown. Uh, Apparently a three. it's Jimmy Butler and Caleb Martin. Okay, let's be serious. <laughs> Caleb Martin was better than Jalen Brown. I agree. I agree. But you're betting on that. Would you trade Caleb Martin for, no, for Jalen Brown? So of yeah, we're, no one's betting on that. I'm being serious about this. So... Who would have a better pairing? And we have to also accept that everyone in the league is going to be dealing with this these same mm-hmm. restrictions. So if you look around the East, I don't know who would have a better pairing. And you look at um, Jason Tatum's age and his trajectory, he still can get better. So saying that he's not better that Embiid is in a vacuum and he's not better than Jimmy Butler is right. in the playoffs this year, I think is short-sighted. Uh, and I think we're going to have to accept that Jalen Brown is not going to get better at the things that he struggles with because he's been struggling with those things 
ever since he got in the NBA. And presumably, especially after last year, when it yeah. was on the biggest stage, it was exposed, like you can't dribble, you can't pass. Presumably, he put all his effort into improving that, and he had the perfect opportunity to demonstrate it for all of us in Game 7 when Jason Tatum's ankle got rolled, it's, and he didn't get there. He's just not an interesting player because he doesn't make his teammates better. I mean, that like, yeah. like there's limits of... So that's, I guess, that's uh, a limitation for Tatum, too, is that, that their roster construction is guys who are isolation scorers in certain ways, and like... That's never been my cup of tea as basketball players, so I, I might be biased. I rambled long on enough that. that I got you off of the question of the and, duos. Yeah, of like, what's a duo right now that you would project is a more talented? Because right now you're making the argument that they're that Jason Tatum's not the best player on the court in in major series against the Eastern Conference. Yeah, but now if you put them together, who's a better duo going forward? And I guess I'm trying to make well, the they're argument. They're playing. They're the ones playing in the finals. Jokic yeah, Murray is the, the obvious east. one. The uh, just in the East. Yeah, just in the East. And that's the. I think that's the argument for keeping them together. Is you don't you don't want to panic, and everyone else is going to be having the same difficulties as you. Yeah. Jason Brown, Jalen Brown's probably not going to get better. Jason Tatum still, I think, could. Yeah, better. We can, and he's he's shown improvement in his playmaking. And he can do the yeah, I was about to say he can do what Durant and Kawhi did, where they're not additive passers, but they're good passers, which is something I think Tatum is willing to do. But he's never gonna be a point forward type of guy who's gonna control the pace of the game and be a queen of the chessboard. So you need a point guard, is is yeah, what you I mean, want. If, but the thing is like the value of Jalen Brown, like would you trade him to Atlanta for DeJounte Murray and DeAndre Hunter? Because I would. Both of them. Yeah, oh hell yeah, yeah. For both of them. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I if you would have asked me this before these conference finals, I probably would have said no. And probably before I started to look at uh the the implications of the new salary cap, I would have said no. Give me this core and I'll continue to like go into the luxury tax and make trades that I'll have to pay for way off in the future to build up a roster around them. Those things are going to be much harder to do under new salary cap. So I think I might. Yeah, I'd that's, be. A, well, that's, that, that, that's the interesting. There are interesting packages before he signs this contract that I would find appealing to see if you can get a different version of Tatum, like putting him with a great passer, someone who's a great defender, someone who can who can set him up to score more easily. Like I. The thing I'm, I I loathe comparing him to Kevin Durant because as much as I sort of crap on Kevin Durant, he is so unique in the ease that he can fit in and score. But there are aspects of that that you see in Jason Tatum that I think he could fit with a lot of players who could really help him be like a truly, truly elite, unstoppable scorer. He doesn't and, have the diversity of moves and no, no. games, Kevin Durant, but I see what but you're saying. length yeah. and ease of ease, right. ease of which he scores. Right. Like It'd be really interesting to see him play with someone who sees the court in a different way as a co-star than Jalen Brown. Right. All right. So the, 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 the hardest thing for me moving forward in, in this conversation is understanding how this is all going to pan out in the new CBA. I think we have a decent understanding of it, but I think, what people aren't saying is that it might be, we might have seen Jalen Brown in his last time in his oh, Celtics I, I think uniform. we have. Yeah. I think we have, for sure. And it's the Celtics been a, though ruthless, pretty smart organization. Yeah. And if you and me are coming to the conclusion that Jalen Brown puts a cap on them that I'm not sure they want to accept, then they might be coming to a similar, or at least entertaining that, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think the, we know that they were, they entertained the Kevin Durant, Jalen Brown trade talks earlier this year. We know that Jalen Brown has long 
said that he wants to test free agency. But the interesting thing to me, and this is something that we never would have said with the prior CBA with a 26-year-old wing going into his prime with a max contract, which is the second he signs that contract, he is a bad contract for, for the organization. And there was, and that's, I think that's the big thing that we can walk away as you and I try to get our hands around how the new CBA is going to impact player movement, how it's going to impact roster construction. I think that's the thing that we need to get our heads around. And it might take some time for all of us in sports media to understand and accept this is before we looked at it was there was no such thing as a bad contract. Right. You could kind of get from under all bad contracts. You could Russell Westbrook just built a title contender. Yeah. You could yeah, you could move just about anybody and the worst crime you could commit in roster construction was to lose an asset for nothing. So it's when someone's is um extension eligible, you give them the extension, you figure it out later. But now I think we're moving into a world where you actually are going to have to make a real decision about whether you sign these people to the extensions and the first big tests of it is going to be Jalen Brown and they could impact their championship aspirations dramatically. And, and it's all from making all NBA is the crazy part. They actually put in the Jalen Brown stipulation in the new CBA had he not made all NBA where he could have gotten a 40% raise instead of a 20% raise. And I think those contracts ironically are going to become incredibly valuable. Guys who get the, the baby max, that rookie max, and then have the... 40 or 30 whatever teams negotiate that little bump because they're going to be so many of those around the league that they're going to be so easy to max or match uh but Jalen's is going to be uniquely huge and he is he earned his all nba spot i'm not going to like that he had a good enough season it was 26 points a game but it was also this really unique year with injuries and load management that i don't think anyone really thinks he's one of the five or six best forwards in the nba it's so interesting that they with all the max contracts that are available and like these it's a slotting essentially where players are getting more money than they deserve because they happen to be eligible for the max and they're the best player on their team some players are having their salaries suppressed because of it and if there are other um, distinctions that you can fall into with 40% raise that there's not much really to talk about or negotiate for. It's kind of like this guy's eligible. This is what you pay him. But uh, having these players, players like that available and having, uh, I forgot what I was going to say, but having the money that you need to construct the roster is really hard to do in the NBA. It always has been. I think it's getting a lot more difficult in understanding how much you can apply to a specific player. We think about it percentages of a salary cap. It's going to be interesting. And the decision this offseason is about flexibility versus certainty. Yeah. With what they have now, they can get to the finals. Yeah. And oh, they yeah. could probably win the championship. But they won't have maybe. They won't have all the things around what they have now going forward. They won't. And also like they, I think they realize that they're going to need a lot of things to break right. I mean, obviously every team needs a lot of things to break right for them to win a championship, but they will need a good amount of luck that we aren't going to think about for those past Warriors teams, this Nuggets team, et cetera, et cetera. And the question is, I think, do you want to invest in hoping that everything falls to shit around you and you win the title that way? Or do you want to try and move the pieces around Tatum because you have this asset that, theoretically for the next four years should be one of the best players in the NBA. And if, can you elevate him to be a true number one, if you and, put different pieces around him and you, you'd opt for maintaining your flexibility, but I guess it, so My, I just opt for, I just don't even think that like, I just don't think it's that great of a fit. I don't think Jalen Brown is as valuable as that contract. 
Because you're not even maintaining flexibility. You're just committing to other players. If you no, go no, with no, the, you are with, maintaining flexibility for sure. Because well, I guess it's, it's two smaller pieces and contracts yeah, that can be moved, much. which are are yeah. So have we settled as a show on they should move on from Jalen Brown? I mean, I hate that, but I think it's the right thing. I, I, we love beautiful basketball. And there's, there's one thing that you could say is that the Celtics playing with Brown and Tatum. This might be like a, a mutually beneficial parting of ways, too. Yeah. He might play more beautiful basketball with a different different guard who's less ball dominant around him, too. Yeah, I don't know where that's going to be, where he's going to play better than he's played. He's been all NBA. You think he's going to be all NBA somewhere else? Oh, no. I mean, you might just love putting up that's empty stats somewhere. That's also such a weird thing about how some of these distinctions are and all these distinctions are decided by NBA writers yeah. and it can impact your salary while also you have um, low management, as you mentioned before, impacting all of that stuff. It's just a weird thing that the NBA has to create these, you know how I feel about, uh, about player movement and player freedom. Like I, that's when I become like a real capitalist. It's like, yeah. I don't want all these rules. We don't need a salary cap because once you institute a salary cap, that's when you start to institute all these other rules to try to make it fair. And it only gets more and more complicated and, um, and less fair for the players, honestly. Yeah. But like, why do you need the writers involved? You need them involved because you don't trust any other way to do it. And you need to give players so much potential upside. But for players who are at the top, there are lots of players who are making as much as players who are much more talented than them. Yes. And that to some degree limits the ability of other teams because you might be able to build a team that's a collection of a bunch of really good players, but you're going to have to give somebody the max because he's the best player on your team. And then you have to move on from all these really good players. So like all these, I don't know, all these distinctions, uh, I don't think make for a better product for us on the court. I completely agree. I, I like, oh, I'm shocked. I thought you were going to take the management side. No, I know. I, I think like the, the salary structure for the NBA is completely broken. Like whether it's no salary cap or no max salaries and actually like put the screws to teams to balance their cap in a way that's, that's lazy. That value players, values players, um, correctly. To me, that's more interesting than just being like, oh, like you're in, you're scoring these inflated numbers in a league that's playing at a really high pace with people not trying in the regular season. You get a max contract and you may get a max contract and it's all equal. And like, that's, I mean, look, we're, we're in DC. The pitfalls of that are, are really obvious to us. Just you're oh, paying Bradley. Beal and you did it with Wall and you're just like, you have someone who's scoring because that's just what happens in the NBA you and you pay, pay them. them. And it's like, that's, that's silly management. And also, and the Celtics didn't pay Isaiah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was uh, on his way to that. To, Backing up the Brinks truck. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. They brought him out there, too. That that made me sad, too, when they brought him out there to, like, get hyped for the game. Like, y'all did him right. Y'all did him dirty. <laughs> they did him so dirty. And then they brought him out there to, like, get them fired up, which is why they lost. They got cursed. You and I have both had that hip surgery. And it's, yeah. like, fairly unpleasant. Yeah, it is pretty unpleasant. It wasn't that unpleasant for me because I'm tougher than you. It's true. But it, it, was, it sucked. Yeah. I mean, I was like sitting at a desk on crutches in my office job afterwards being like, I was playing football. Yeah. And then I fell. Yeah. Are we done? No, we're not done. I I was going to wait out the awkward silence as much as I possibly could. Um, Yeah. The, the world that, the world that I would love to see is a world without a salary cap. That's not going to happen. Eliminating the max salaries, I think 
leads to a world where you get more competitive teams. Yeah. Where you have, and also like we were talking about how there are restrictions after a certain age. Like LeBron can only get a two-year max, which to me, like I get the reason for it, but all this is about is ways to curtail player power because the teams and the general managers don't have whatever leverage or heart that they want to have to make the decision. But I think it hurts them in the long run. So like there could be a way that you address all this where it's like, all right, you're really good. We're going to pay you like you're really good, which means that what we can put around you won't be as great, which means that there are a lot of other players that are available for other teams to make those teams really good. And then you won't be like, all right, for LeBron at his peak, we have to pay the same for LeBron as his peak as this competitor that we have is paying for Bradley Beal at his peak. Right. They're never going to be able to compete. And that's not Bradley Beal's fault. That's not LeBron's fault. That's the general managers in the league's fault for imposing these stupid rules. I totally agree. It also like tears player empowerment in certain ways. Like I think it's what I would say is I think it's a lot more palatable for the fans, for someone like LeBron James or Kevin Durant to push around his muscle and get teams to do what they want him to do than when it's... I can't, I mean, we can just continue to dump on the theoretical Bradley Beal, but like Bradley Beal forcing the hand of an organization, you're like, for who, for what, for why? Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's you, like, can, you can do Harden or Kyrie, yeah, like they're plenty of players same who thing, have done it's it, like, aren't at that level. But the second they're not as valuable to a team based on the contract slot as LeBron or Jokic or Embiid, the amount that they can push teams around and they can jerk fans around also changes because it's like, you're just not, you just aren't as valuable when you're not yeah. getting paid as much. And so it's like, that to me is like a solution that would actually make it, it more interesting for the fans as well. Speaking of player power, there's one thing that uh, we haven't seen happen in a long time. And I think with the introduction of NIL, there's a potential of it happening again. So Mike Florio presented the concept that Caleb uh, I was about to say Caleb Martin, Caleb Williams, the future. He's like the next big quarterback. Honestly, tank for Caleb Martin also. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Caleb Williams is the USC quarterback who uh, is going to be the number one overall pick in this coming season. And he's the guy. Yeah. Like every five to 10 years, there's a guy that were like, all right, this is a can't miss guy. And we're normally right about those guys. And he's the next one. So because the amount of money that he's able to to make in college now, he has leverage to be to say to the NFL, no thanks, not to the whole league, but to whoever is there who might want to draft him. And you remember um, Eli Manning did it. Uh, John Elway did it. John Elway did it because he had the leverage of saying, I'll go play baseball. Eli did it just because I don't his know. His dad secretly him, runs the league. Yeah, him and his dad and his brother were already super powerful in the NFL and they could just do it. And I've always advocated for players to reject that first round team because I do think, aside from the part where it's just unfair, drafting people in general is unfair. I think it's really particularly unfair from a not deciding where you live, but in the NFL, your careers are so dependent. Yeah. And it's so dependent on how well an organization is run. And that's that um determines how much talent you get around you. That determines how well you're going to be coached. That determines how well you're going to be protected. Like there are a lot of things that are decided by that. And to me, the idea that 
a player with that type of talent and that type of value can have his career ruined if he ends up in a bad organization. Like it not only sucks for the player, which is what I care about, it sucks for all of us and it sucks for the league because uh, as, as as bulletproof as the NFL is, it's still better with stars. You don't think it was good to have Trevor Lawrence playing for a coach that was kicking kickers and not a <laughs> professional organization his first year in Jacksonville? No, no. I mean, like I, I, I think this is fascinating. First of all, Shout out to Mike Florio for giving us this Ooh. this little gem of content Thanks, Mike. Um, that you completely made up and has no sourcing to Caleb Williams. But maybe Kyler Murray leaked this to you. Um, <laughs> uh, the the thing that's a bummer to me is that we've seen like I can't remember the last three generational quarterbacks are Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, and now Caleb Williams. Is none of them are really ending up in you know, major markets with established teams and coaches that haven't been like disastrously run. I guess Andrew Luck was coming off the Peyton Manning era, but you know, Ursay, Trent Balky, the whole thing was like was bizarre. That's um, the real benefit of the NBA draft lottery. Yeah. Is that there can, is that you can there's a chance that they're not going to an awful organization. The NFL, unless Peyton Manning randomly gets hurt, <laughs> like there's really not much of a chance that you're gonna go to a to organization that is good yeah um and i just like i guess that's the big thing is like if he if it's not arizona who's going to possibly have the capital or the ability to trade up for that pick unless caleb can have enough leverage he can sort of actually choose where he's going to go and he should and Roger Goodell should be a part of making sure that he does because I, I think the NFL, the quarterbacks are all that matter as far as people are going to watch football no matter what. But they're going to watch it a lot more when you have good competitive quarterbacks in a bunch of different cities. And I, I don't think so. My theory on quarterback development has always been like the best quarterbacks in the league are more a product of their situation than they are of their own talent if you look around you notice that a lot of all the top quarterbacks in the league came into good situations yeah and I think that when you get drafted number one overall or top five overall you clearly have the talent to succeed why do so many of them fail and why do like so many quarterbacks that are drafted in middle of the first round or later or first in it first pick in the second round or all the way in the fourth round like those quarterbacks succeed because they land in good situations where the organizations develop them well. Um, Patrick Mahomes would have been good anywhere. Patrick Mahomes is great because he walked into a team that was already loaded with a coach that was really smart. What? You're laughing at me. What? No, I just like I, I, I'm glad that you included Patrick Mahomes in that. <laughs> I'm surprised. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised because I mean, I, no, you know, I maybe the greatest quarterback of all time. We can go down the list. Like, I mean, Dak Prescott, everywhere, yeah. Dak Prescott, he would not have been good everywhere. Yeah. Like he was a fourth round pick. It, things worked out so that he was on a loaded team at the time and he was good enough and he got better. Um, Russell Wilson, he was a third round pick. He landed in a good situation. They didn't put a lot of pressure on him. He got better as time went on. It worked out. Like that's true of all of You're the slowly time. arguing that, that, uh, Joe Burrow is actually the best quarterback in oh, the yeah. NFL. Absolutely. Joe Burrow's the only one that I can think of in recent history where you dropped him in a crap situation and things, we're fine because yeah. that old line was garbage. They gave him one good receiver, and oh yeah, and then he was off and running. So Joe Burrow is the one that you could say is the exception to this rule. But name a quarterback that you think Aaron Rodgers. 
great situation. Time to get ready. This is such a chicken. This is such a chicken and the egg thing, though, though, because like the quarterback also makes the situation. So sometimes it's hard to parse where it's like a lot of these pieces and these it's situations seem to, better it's when not, they have the quarterback. It's not that hard to parse when you look at these teams, though. Like yeah. all the teams that I'm naming were teams that were good and competitive the year prior. Right. Like these aren't teams. The the Packers had. They were competitive. They had Brett Favre, who started yeah. to fall off, but they were good and competitive. Obviously, the same thing with the Cowboys and with the Chiefs. And I don't remember exactly how good the uh, the Seahawks were, but they seemed like they were pretty damn good. And yeah, they, they immediately had an incredible defense. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I, maybe it's a chicken and egg situation, but I guess I would like to have my egg in a nice, safe, warm nest. Mm-hmm. Don't throw it out there with Urban Meyer and the dangers of the world. So, like, I, I don't even I don't just say this for the sake of the player, because I do think it's unfair. As I talked about last week when I went on my anti-tanking rank, how it's really messed up to just spoil people's careers because you want a high draft pick. That aside, I think it sucks for all of us, too. Yeah. If you if you let. Well, great potential great players go to terrible situations. It I love that you just accidentally argued like in your pro player argument that the only thing that matters is coaches and the organizations for Bill. I'm not saying, yeah, that's fair. I, I did talk myself in that corner, but this is what it, this is one thing that I learned when it comes to winning arguments is you got to give people, you got to mm. walk them up to it. You got to explain it in a way that they would appreciate. So for all the people who were offended by my, my player first rants last week, now I'm saying, no, this is about what's good for the teams and organizations and what's good for uh, all of us as fans. A better product. No, I mean, it's it's overall really interesting of how this is going is how this is going to play out, too, because if we we have been privy to the rise of Caleb Williams in D.C., but he's been a true prodigy who's wanted to flex his power since he became a college quarterback. A friend of mine um, coached him in college, I mean, in high school at Gonzaga, and he just said he was different. And DeMath is another, like, football mm-hmm. power around here. And he was like, Caleb came in as a freshman and was the, the best player on the field and was the difference. The reason why they won a last-second game was this guy. So he's been that guy for quite some time. He's been prepared to be a professional quarterback for, I think, a long time. Um, and, you know, uh, this is someone – who does basically use the transfer portal to be like, I want to be put in the situation to best develop and to be a professional football player. It's like a, a college football mercenary in a way that is really interesting. His ambition is incredibly high. I think this is much closer to a John Elway situation than it is a Joe Burrow situation where they bantered for what a day that, Oh, maybe he doesn't want to go to the Bengals. Like this is a trash situation. Like he is of a generation and of a type that I think will want to be in a place of his choosing, or at least a place where he does, where it's not terrible. Yeah. I mean, the professionalization of college athletics is something that we've bemoaned before in the past, but this is a place where I think that it works out well for a player like Caleb because I think he's thinking like a professional. Like moving to USC was definitely a decision that was like about his professional career and nothing else he's gonna get to hang out with Bronny next year that'll be fun I forgot get about know that. each other yeah that's that's gonna be the place to be oh wow USC like they already probably have a ton of like actors kids and directors kids and other LA millionaires and billionaires of that place you add the number one recruit 
in in basketball. Yeah, is that going Collier? there? I yeah. think the number one girls basketball recruit is going there too, or at least a top five girls basketball recruit is going there. And then Bronny, who's the biggest celebrity of all of them, is going there. That is going to be a fun place to be. I know when um I was in college, the as good as we were at football, the basketball team was always better. Like they won a national championship. We won the first ACC championship that we had ever won. Uh, or that we would won in a long time. First conference championship in a long time. I think it was the first ACC championship ever. And we were competitive. I think we lost one game first year, two games the next year, and two games the year after that. And then my senior year, we stunk. But we were competitive. We, like, felt good. We were important until the basketball players came to the party. Yeah. And it was it was over. Juan Dixon and Lonnie oh, Baxter walked oh, in. It, it was over. Nobody was looking at us anymore. I bring that up because I think that's what's going to happen in USC. You think so? Once Bronny shows up. You think Caleb's a bigger deal? I, he might be the first player since Archie Griffin to win two two straight Heisman's. That could be a big deal. Yeah, but I guess I'm I'm thinking about a big deal to us and yeah. sports fans. And Bronny's a real deal, like real celebrity. I guess we got to look at the social following. I'm but sure Bronny is a yeah. Social so that's what following. I mean. Is like when Bronny shows up. Brody goes to the top of the list, no matter how good Caleb is. Caleb is. This is going to be the big thorn in LeBron's side of playing with his son. That guy is not going to want to leave USC. <laughs> yeah, he might imagine. he might get a PhD and be there for like another 10 years writing this a research is, no, paper. No, no, no. This is, uh, I certainly don't want to um, compare Bronny to, to Kendall Roy, but succession is in my mind in that it doesn't matter how much money or power influence that you have. If you've been dreaming of being an NBA player your whole life, like that's still going to be more attractive, I think, than just being like the coolest kid on USC's campus. You think he's just going to be grabbing Sam Presti by the face going, I'm the <laughs> eldest boy. <laughs> he is the eldest boy. He's already been on the, ch- on the floor when you want a chip back when he had braids. I've seen that picture too much. I guess that wasn't when they won the championship. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the baby pictures. That was just him in Cleveland. He was yeah. really, he was really young. I remember point. him on the like championship dais when they won in Miami, and he was yeah. like a wee, a wee lad at that point too. What is life to people like that? I can't imagine. Like thinking about Taylor Swift looking out at eighty thousand people chanting her. I was going to chant her name, calling her mother <laughs> <laughs> three times a week all across the United States and probably across the world. Oh yeah. It's going to Europe after this. That's, that's gotta be real challenging to, do you think you lose your sense of reality a little bit? Your reality is not real. It's not real. <laughs> I, would, I, I would not blame Taylor Swift if she did something crazy. Cause like, yeah. how could you not be crazy if you are in that? And the same thing for Bronny, like his whole life has been freaking weird. And I don't know, I guess him and his father have some, extra ability to to at least appear normal <laughs> in the face of craziness which I, is a I love lebron but i would never say he's appeared normal considering as, what, as normal as he could be yeah but yeah i mean lebron hasn't done anything too crazy he just no, he just, just lies occasionally he's just weird yeah he's a little I mean, weird no, how could you not be oh no it makes total sense he's just, a lot less weird than he should be yeah that's a lot fair. less weird than he should yeah yeah I don't know. My, what's your favorite weird LeBron thing? Is it him rapping lyrics that he doesn't know? The fake books? Oh, yeah. The lying and saying I mean, he knew everything? I can relate to rapping lyrics that you don't know. Um, but you don't film yourself. Yeah, I, as, as, I, we, I don't have that. I'm not and an then internet you don't guy. see that video of you rapping the lyrics and you don't is, know, and they're like, 
fucking killed it. Let's send this out to <laughs> yeah. my 150 million followers. I've lied about books that I've read before that oh, I haven't yeah, actually read. Yeah, like, that we're was... friends with Mina and Pablo. Sometimes you just gotta fucking lie and <laughs> yeah. pretend oh, yeah, you've yeah, read yeah. it. To... I read that. I also like made it through high school. Yeah, I never read any of those yeah. things. Like that's a that's a good point. Yeah, I spark read notes. Anything. Yeah, it's easy. I was I knew spark notes any, either. Oh yeah, you're fast. <laughs> no, I I just <laughs> smart enough to finagle my way around that. It was fine. College, I didn't read because I was fast. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right, good times, Charlie. Appreciate you. Thanks, Addie, Sarah, Christina, and Podville. We out. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. 